and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat. And we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. So, Brian, first text message I got from another farmer today was, hey, seeding some spring wheat right now. Uh, and and asking questions around that. And we got talking about pre-emerge herbicides and using Sharpen and that kind of thing because kochia is a real concern. Yep. And, it, you know, it's interesting because you would think, gosh, a grass crop, isn't grass your biggest concern in wheat? But for some guys, kochia is such a big thing that it's, yeah, I got to put down some Sharpen. But, I mean, there are other options out there too, pre-emerge that, that could have been done or could still be done. You could use Zidua. You could use Prepare. and, and well, those no, two actually things. you can't. You can't use Zidua until you've got that, that wheat seeded and it is germinated. Sure, sure. So, but, I, but I'm saying you could yeah. use that before uh, grasses are up. <laughs> Before uh, your oh, weeds are so. up, yeah, yeah. And, and and at least have some help. But let, let's just look at this post-emerge grass herbicide thing a couple of different ways. The best situation would be if you had something down pre that could have given you some help. Now, Sharpen isn't going to give you any help on the grass, nope. but it will help on the kochia, of course. But if you had something down to, to take some of those grasses out, it makes it easier to kill them post-emerge because they aren't quite so thick, they aren't quite so strong, those kinds of things. But let's face it, uh, more acres than not, nothing has been done. And now it's, okay, I've got grasses okay. coming up. What can I do? Okay, so first of all, let me just say, in terms of Sharpen, uh, yeah, it's sold out at most retailers already. And BSF's had this issue for the last few years. So I'm almost to the point where if a guy says, I got to have Sharpen in the spring, I'd like you to find it somewhere in the fall. I know it seems absolutely crazy, but for whatever reason, they can't seem to catch up. The product is that good. There's that much demand for it. So if you can find it any time of year, you just take it, you put it in the shed, and then you have it for spring. But anyway, on this grass subject, yeah, we can talk Zidua or Anthem Flex, but again, that's after germination. And the problem with the group 15s like Zidua is they have no burn down activity, only residual. That's one of the reasons why I really like Prepare, if it'll still work for you, because it is an ALS, Zidua is a group 15. Anyway, with Prepare, it's got burn down, it's got residual. And if your soil pH is, let's call it above seven, you can get by with a low rate that costs like $4 an acre. I mean, even if you have low pH, the most you're going to spend is about six bucks an acre. I mean, it's really inexpensive for a product with burn down and residual that not only works on a lot of grasses, it also works on a lot of broadleaf weeds that are non-ALS resistant. So that's really my favorite. But yeah, we do have several different choices. I guess we just encourage you please use something pre. Now, today our topic is post-emerge grass herbicides. And the the thing that is probably the most frustrating for me as an agronomist and as a farmer is when we don't see new technology for a long time. Well, what do we really have post-emerge in wheat? We've got Everest 3.0, which I really like, and you might say, hey, that's newer. Well, the only thing that's really newer is the safener and then the formulation because it's the same thing as what Prepare was or is. And, I mean, that's been around for, I don't even know, 20, 25 years, something like that. We've got Puma. 
Uh, you know, and I mean, there are generics of that. Okay, well, that's been around for 30 years. We've got Axial, been around for probably 20 years. Um, I, you see where I'm going with this. It's, it's just a little frustrating. So there are ALS and there are ACCase products, and that's really about all you got. So in terms of ALS products, it's Everest 3.0, but then we also have Beyond if, if you have Clearfield Wheat. So Beyond, same thing as Raptor, and it's not amazing on grass, but it's decent on grass. But yeah, it's it's an ALS, just like what Everest 3.0 is. On the ACCA's front, like I said, you got Axial, you got Puma, there's also Discover, and there's Axial Bold out there, which is a combination of Axial and Puma. So a lot of these things where they've rebranded it or made a premix or something, there's just there's no new technology. And that's also part of why we really want you to do something pre-emerge. And if you are starting to see resistance with ALS and ACCA's, like Darren said, go to Zidua or Anthem Flex has that same active ingredient in there, and you can usually get that a little bit cheaper. That's got uh, AIM for a burndown product, PPO, plus it's got that active ingredient found in Zidua, the Group 15. So use that, and then you can follow with something else post-emerge, and then you aren't counting on your post-emerge product to do all the work. And I know that the that the wheat crop is so thick a lot of times, it can choke out a lot of weeds, but... Boy, grass can really negatively impact yield. And when you get to some of the tougher grasses, it gets even worse. You get a brome species, you get wild oats, something like that. Well, that's way worse in terms of yield loss as opposed to as a, as compared to the foxtails, green, yellow, and giant foxtails. So anyway, just as a quick summary as we start the show here, that's really what I would tell you with post-emerge grass herbicides is number one, we want you to have a pre, and I know that's not our topic today, but we really want you to have a pre. It's going to help you out so much, and it doesn't cost very much. Hopefully, you don't even need to use the post-emerge grass product because of that. Anyway, number two, if you do get to the post side, then you got to look at, all right, basically you have ALS or ACCAs. That, those are your only choices. So if you're having any ALS-resistant weeds, then you go ACCAs or vice versa. The ACCA's product's probably a little bit better on the foxtails, wild oats. The ALS product's probably a little bit better on some of the brome species, things like that, cheatgrass. Nothing that we have out there is fantastic, especially when the grasses get some size to them. But anyway, I guess the other thing that I will say when it comes to this overall grass control in wheat is in your other crops, just do everything you can to have great grass control, especially if you're rotating a broadleaf crop. Let's say it's soybeans. It's easy and inexpensive to kill grass in soybeans, so don't let a single grass plant ever go to seed. Then you're going to have a lot less pressure when you get to wheat. Well, speaking of wheat, we are going to be talking post-emerge grass control on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. There are a lot of choices for closing systems in the market. 360 Wave has been topping them all on side-by-sides. More plants and ears, more bushels. They're in stock and ready to ship from 360. Most closing systems attempt to close from the top down. Wave closes from the bottom up, rolling moist soil over the seed, plus puts starter fertilizer in the sweet spot. There is still time to upgrade your closing system with 360 Wave. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. But we're going to start our discussion here about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat. We've got Christy Sprague on with Michigan State to talk a little about that. How are you doing today, Christy? Doing well. All right, first of all, let's just talk Michigan agriculture here. What grass weeds are you most concerned about if a farmer is going to be planting wheat? Yeah, so our two main weed, grass weed problems in wheat are um, rough stock bluegrass, which has really taken hold probably in the last five years. And then the other one is windgrass, which we typically see up in the thumb region of Michigan. Okay, talk to us about those two particular weeds. What what makes them difficult to control? Um, one of the things that really makes them difficult to control is they're both um, more win- more of like a winter annual um, from the windgrass side. And then actually rustock bluegrass is a perennial, but we do see it more or less act as um, kind of an annual in wheat. So we see it emerge about the time that wheat is starting to emerge, and we do get some spring emergence. So we have messed around quite a bit with some different fall applications, and we've been able to kind of get both those weeds a little bit under control with fall applications, but we can get some pretty decent control in the spring. Okay, so a lot of times when we look at these these winter annual type grasses or ones that get a start in the fall, uh, in the spring we say maybe we can suppress them. I don't know if we can completely knock them out. Is it possible to get out there early before they get too established? Yeah, and actually probably in the next couple of weeks is when we want to really be getting those grass herbicides applied because they are, um, particularly with the rough stock bluegrass, once that starts to... Um, get any growth on it, it is a lot more difficult to control, and it really starts to put that seed head out early. Um, and one other grass that I uh, forgot, conveniently forgot to mention is just annual bluegrass, and that has um, typically been a huge problem 
for us. And again, that's one of those things when it starts getting that seed head out, which happens early, it is a lot more difficult to control. Okay, so let's let's go let's back and backtrack. Our our listeners love this, Christy, because we do this all the time. We're like, well, the best thing would have been if we got after it last fall, and not to not to take the easy way out here and say, well, you know, if we would have done it in the fall. But what do you like in the fall? What what has worked well on on those three tough grasses? Um, we've actually had some really good luck with um, osprey. Has worked out well for us. Um, pretty much with all three of those grasses. And depending on what the species is, we've had really good luck with um, Powerflux HL, um, particularly for windgrass and then annual bluegrass. But with the rough stock bluegrass, that is one that where uh, Powerflux ends up being a little bit weaker. So it's kind of one of those things where we always say, know which grass you have so you can make sure you're making the right selection. Okay, well, here we are in the spring, and maybe, maybe uh, some of the guys got some of those things done in the fall, so there isn't quite so much of it here, but but maybe they didn't, and maybe the pressure is going to be thick. You say we've got to get going here in the next two weeks, uh, otherwise it's going to be too late. What products do you like when it comes to spring applications? Um, really, uh, those, those same ones. So Osprey has been pretty good across all three of those species. PowerFlex for the... Uh, annual bluegrass, and also the uh, windgrass. And then we've had some really good luck with um, axial bold in the spring for helping to control some of the rough stock bluegrass. Interesting. Okay, yeah, Brian was just talking about that, that it's a combination of the old axial plus the active ingredient from Puma. Um, does it take both of those AIs to get it, or is there one of the two that, that seems to be working better? Um, it's actually the uh, kind of the what they call panoxidin part of it that was from the old axial that has um, that we had good luck with prior to um, things switching over to axial bold. Yeah, there there just aren't that many choices out there, and and like you mentioned here, we've we've really named three products, and it's like oh, we don't have tons and tons of choices, but there are a few that are working, and uh, and that's really positive. What about some of the the uh, other grass species out there. Do you have much issue with wild oats? Do you have that from time to time? Yeah, we really don't have a whole lot of issue with wild oats. Um, it's, you know, on occasion we might see a few, few spots where it pops up, but, um, not as, not as widespread as some other states. All right, coming out of a uh, uh, big winter, uh, what what are fields looking like now in Michigan? Are, are guys going to be rolling pretty soon in the field? Yeah, I think. Well, we've been we had been wet for a couple of weeks, so a lot of the and then um, probably a little bit milder than normal winter. So um, some of that kind of green up, um, some of those nitrogen applications that would normally occur early are just starting to occur. Um, we had, we, in our plots, we had some stuff that was planted, uh, uh, mid to late September and then some kind of as a comparison in late October. And some of that stuff that was planted in September is looking really good and, and things are really starting to, to green up and look, look pretty, uh, promising. Yeah. The green up is welcomed. <laughs> it was a long winter for us for sure. Hey, let me ask you a tough question here, Chrissy, because I know when you talk about killing grass herbicides, uh, and I'm sure you've said this before too, that boy, those grass herbicides, if we spray them alone, they work the best. If we're tank mixing them with some of the broadleaf herbicides, there can be some antagonism there. But e even though you're saying that, uh, 
I know there's farmers that are going to say, well, I kind of need to spray kochia or I kind of need to spray henbit or I kind of need to spray some kind of broadleaf weed out there. If you're mixing a broadleaf herbicide with one of these products, how bad does it hurt control on something like rough stock bluegrass? Um, actually, in all honesty, we've done a lot of tank mix comparisons, and we haven't really seen too much antagonism there. So a lot of times we would recommend, so if you decided you are going to use something like Osprey, somebody might want to include some Husky in there, um, particularly if you got some uh, mare's chill issues, uh, some chickweed issues, some of those things. And we'll see a lot of those combinations go out, go out this spring. Okay. Well, that's good because, yeah, the more we can get done in one shot, that's that's a positive. And like you say, the application window is not very big right now. So uh, make sure you get those products on hand and get rolling in the field soon if you've got some of these tough weeds out in your wheat fields. Hey, Christy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck to you heading into the spring. All right. Thank you. And good luck to all your growers out there. You bet. All right, Brian, uh, Christy mentioned some of the tank mixes that are that are going out there, and, and she said, you know, with Osprey, they just haven't seen a, a whole bunch of antagonism. Uh, I just I get nervous about these problem grasses, and I just want them out there. If I was going to do a sequential, uh, I would go out and take care of that grass first and then come back and take care of the broadleaves. What, what's your opinion? Do you of have course. an order that you like better or products that you'd watch out for? If you said, I love well, how Darren asks questions like this. We've well, literally been agronomists together for over 30 years now. Well, some it's of these ALS, time. some of these ALS products do have some activity on the broadleaf still. So, I mean, there are those things to think about that, well, maybe I'll ding the broadleaves up and, and not get them under control. Yeah the, completely. The, the, yeah. the standard rule has always been spray the grass first and then come back and spray the broadleaves a week or more later. But I, I mean, everybody wants to save a trip. So if you can, that's the direction you want to go. And that's also why we say, boy, if you can get some suppression with a pre-emerge product, then you're not counting on that post-emerge product to be amazing. It just has to be good. And then we really don't worry as much about this antagonism issue either. Anyway, yeah, when it comes to post-emerge grass herbicides, I, I, I guess... There aren't a lot of choices, and earlier in the show, we didn't mention Osprey or PowerFlex. I, I mean, we think quite often where we're at here in the United States about spring wheat. A lot of guys are raising spring wheat, but there are a lot of areas that are raising winter wheat, and they're dealing with some different grasses. Because quite frankly, nobody around here is going to talk about windgrass, annual bluegrass, or rough stock bluegrass, like Christy was mentioning. So I, I, I guess every area is a little bit different, and that's, that kind of makes agronomy fun. That's one of the reasons I like doing the show is we get to talk about things outside just our particular area here. Um, even so, there just aren't a lot of choices out there. And when you talk about Osprey, PowerFlex, guess what? Both ALS herbicides. So we have ALS, we have ACCA, so that's really all we're dealing with post-emerge for grass control and wheat. We'll talk a little bit more about this subject and get to the phone lines right after this. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. 
Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Farmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an Authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Head over to your local CNB to get yourself a new John Deere planter or schedule inspections to make sure your equipment is as ready for spring as you are. Visit CNB Operations online at DeerEquipment.com. That's D-E-E-R-Equipment.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. We're talking post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat. Yes, grass can be a huge yield robber. It can cause lots of problems for you out in wheat fields, so we want to get that stopped. Uh, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show here at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head up to Saskatchewan. we got Nick on with us right now. Nick, how are you doing today? Well, not bad. So what's it look? Uh, disappearing fast up here. Finally, spring is coming, and it was one of the later ones we've seen in a long time, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask if uh, if spring had arrived yet, and I, I know it's heading that direction, so that's that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, before long, as things green up, they'll also start greening up with some weeds out in the field. When it comes to the wheat portion of your rotation, what do you see for grass weeds? Do you have certain ones that you're really concerned about each year? No, just uh, probably just the wild oats. We don't really we don't use anything too serious for control of the the grassy weeds around here, uh, just the basic clodentifop and 
we'd got nothing for resistant weeds yet here. So been lucky, been lucky that way, I guess. But but we do uh, guess we do uh, start uh, fall glyphosate program or whatnot too to to uh, clean up anything fall fall wise, and so maybe that keeps everything at bay too a bit, but. Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. helps, no doubt about that. And then just crop rotation in general, when you've got some decent broadleaf options, right. you know, what's what's it look like this year? What kind of rotation are you going to have on the farm? Uh, we're going to take the pulses away again. This is probably the third year in a row now, and uh, just sticking with cereals and canola. And okay. Just a half and half rotation, basically. And, yeah, no pulses. All right, so canola, grass control, pretty simple. How about broadleaves? Are there any broadleaves that you say, man, I just can't get that under control on the canola side. I really got to do a great job in my wheat. Uh, I guess cleavers can be a pain, but we're lucky our area doesn't have cleavers. Um, but that I've heard from other growers that can be a pain to control with uh, with uh, glufosinate. But uh, no, we're, we're lucky we just hit it one time with the glufosinate, and it seems to keep the job and do the job. Yeah, I guess. So it's pretty simple up here for that. On the on the wheat front, any changes that you're making this year? Anything you're doing to, that you're finding that you say, you know what, I got to do this, this, and this, or I just am not going to maximize my yields? Yeah, just praying for rain this year. Last year we had about two inches, so we couldn't really do much at all. So uh, this year, just praying for that rain to come at the right time because we didn't have much. Uh, we had some snow, but it seemed to... Uh, it, the the moisture value wasn't in it, I don't think, and it seemed to go really quick. So I think we're going to have to rely on timely rains to to make stuff happen here again. But this is year number three, I guess, for a drought probably. Yeah, well, hopefully the weather patterns are changing here. At least that's the that's what we're going into the season believing, Nick. So uh, it, it can't be as dry as it's been, right? It's got to get a little bit better. Yeah, I think last time I talked to you, you guys were had a drought for uh, one time, and then it rained for twenty inches, and in, in uh, during the growing season, so it uh, it can change, hopefully. So. Yeah, it, it sure can. Well, it, you know, when we think about this, uh, you mentioned the fall roundup treatment, and I think that's a big one, especially when we're not doing tillage. I know for the guys uh, down in the Dakotas here, where we're at, that fall roundup has been really nice for knocking out some of those winter annual grasses. Yes, yeah, that's a strict uh, we. We try not to let any field not get sprayed. It uh, it seems to make uh, such a big difference. And and in crop the the following year doing in crop sprays, it you don't need a potent chemical to do the job. It's it's all easy easier weeds to kill, and it uh, makes the growing season a lot easier to control part of those weeds. So works really good. Yeah, I like the I like the fall option too because we're typically warmer. It seems like in the spring when we want to be out there, it's it's generally super windy and it's also yeah. cold. And we yeah. it's like oh man, we got to find a series of decent days. Our our, our bed is so much easier to make in the yeah. fall with that fall treatment. Well, no, I'm glad exactly. glad to hear that that weed control is not a big challenge. And and I know we were talking uh, just a little bit ago with Christy Sprague over in Michigan, and she was talking about a couple different weeds. You know, for for us historically here, wild oats have been one of those big ones as well. And it it can sure be a yield robber if it gets out of hand. So I'm glad to glad to hear you yeah, get under control. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. good luck to you here heading into the spring, Nick. Hopefully that well, warm up you. continues and and uh, green grass is right around the corner. Well, thank you. You bet. Have a great day. Brian, as as we look at these post-emerge grass herbicides, we really have 
two families of chemistry, and Nick brought up a great point there. He said, so far, we don't have any resistance here. So all options are on the table, and that's that's a really good thing. It, it, it does get to be quite a challenge if one of those options goes off the table, and that's where you had mentioned Zidua and Anthem Flex uh, earlier, that Group yep. 15 could be that second mode of action that a lot of guys are looking for. Yeah, or third mode of action. So I, I, I guess we would just encourage you – like we always say here, rotate, use different chemistries as much as you can, and just make sure that your weeds are dead when you spray. If you have weeds that don't die, there's a chance that that could lead to more resistance issues in the future. And part of this means you got to get good spray coverage. Part of it means you have to spray at the right timing. So let's talk about both of those things. First of all, with spray coverage, it's harder in wheat than it is in some other crops because of the wheat canopy. You're going to need smaller droplets. You want to have fairly good pressure. You might need to boost the water just a little bit. I'm always cautious about that as a blanket statement, though, because if everything is real small, you can't stick lots of droplets on a tiny little plant. Let's say your, your grass is half an inch tall or something, so you want to have concentrated droplets. So that means less water. So I'm not saying less water in all cases. I am saying real early on, maybe less water. As you get later, more water. But the fact of the matter is if you don't have coverage, if you don't get some of the droplets on that leaf, well, you're not going to kill that plant. In terms of growing conditions, this also gets to be a challenge when we're talking about wheat because wheat will grow early in the season and a lot of people get excited and they go oh man I got all these weeds out here they're small now I want to get them under control now and that's great we're all for that but if you're out there spraying when the weather's cold then the herbicide isn't going to work as well so it's fine with Roundup because in a lot of cases people can bump the rate of Roundup well if you're already using the maximum labeled rate and barely getting the control you're looking for then what do you do? You can't legally bump the rate anymore. So what we would encourage you to do is be paying attention to the weather. If you've got warmer weather, and what what we want ideally is this. We want over 70 degree daytime temps, and we want over 50 degree nighttime temps. That's ideal, okay? I realize you might be laughing going, I, I have a difficult time finding those days. Yep, I realize that. But here's what we also want you to think about. Always spray your weediest fields on the very best weather days. If you do that, now you've got the best odds to kill all those grasses that are out there on those or in those really bad fields. Because think about it. If you've got a thousand weeds in, in, in a whole field, who cares if you get 99% versus 95% control? I, I mean, there, you're only going to have a few grass plants left. If you've got 100 million weeds out in the field, though, you need every advantage you can possibly get. So always keep that in mind. If you can spray your weediest fields on the best days, that's really what we're after. And a lot of times people are thinking calm winds. That means my best day. Granted, I'd love to have that and, and I want that. But what I mean by the best day is it's got to be warm and it can't just be the first day things have warmed up because your plant isn't real actively growing if it's been cold the couple of days prior to that, especially if it got down near freezing. Then that plant about shuts down, and it takes a little while for it to get going again. So it's just like when we talk Roundup all the time. We say what we really want 
is that nighttime temp over 50 degrees for the two days before we spray and the two days after we spray. That to me means, hey, we've now got actually pretty good conditions. So again, ideally we want 70s or above in the daytime. We want 50s or above in the nighttime. Also, if you're listening and you're in the southern United States, you're also probably laughing going, well, <laughs> what am I concerned about that for? I'm more worried about drought down here. That's another thing that enters into the equation. Like for you, if you've got all kinds of heat, you got to make sure you have moisture in that plant so it's actively growing. So lots of factors lead to better control. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag next. Get what you spray for results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. You understand there are ways to boost your yield, but can you do it while reducing your inputs? With Plant Insights, powered by Prospera, you can. With center pivot mounted cameras to monitor crop health, Plant Insights captures thousands of leaf level images with each pivot rotation. Growers receive reports to mitigate issues like pests, weeds, emergence, disease, and more. Put inputs where they matter most. Contact your local Valley dealer today or visit agtechonthefarm.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I've uh, been talking about post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat, but we've had some questions come in on other topics. Uh, get this one in uh, in the Ag PhD mailbag here from Rick. Well, hey, we got to play mailbag. It's the mailbag. There we go. All right. He said, uh, <laughs> here in Florida, we use two Roundup sprays in citrus groves. One is non-select under the trees. And the other is a PGR to reduce mowing between the sure. trees. Uh, also, uh, yeah, what, it, what he means by that is another PGR I use on turf. Yeah. So what what they mean by that is they're spraying a rate that is strong enough to retard the growth, but it is not so strong that it actually kills the plant. So. Yeah, I, I mean, Roundup and Plateau are never meant as growth regulators, but you can make them that way. So if you want to think about it that way, we got a lot of growth regulators out there that are herbicides because they can stunt a plant but not kill it. All right, now I get this one from Daniel, and he said, uh, I'm curious about blight in tomatoes and fungicides. And I'm wondering, is there any fungicide you can just put on the ground for blight in tomatoes, or do you have to spray them on the foliage? Well, you know, that's that's interesting, Dan. For the most part, I guess, and I'm not a tomato expert, but from everything I've seen, you have to cover the part of the plant you want to protect with a fungicide. And the challenge with blight is it could really pop up about anywhere on a tomato plant. So getting good coverage from top to bottom is really important. And there are a bunch of different fungicides labeled for blight in tomatoes. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, if you have a pesticide license to apply your own or what you're doing exactly. Uh, the other thing that I, I see is people that are trying to use copper and other things to to do this without using a quote unquote chemistry. And you got to be a little bit careful about that too, because you can overload soils with copper and get things out of balance in your soil. So uh, could that potentially be part of the solution? Sure. Uh, but for me, I, I guess I'm pretty comfortable with a lot of the chemistry options for, for blight control. And in fact, many of those fungicides don't have a very large pre-harvest window either. So there are some pretty safe ones, uh, that, that could potentially be used. You just have to spray them on the plant, not on the ground. Uh, I guess there, if there's some that could be sprayed on the ground that I just haven't heard of, that's possible. But uh, from everything I've heard, it's been sprayed on the foliage. Anything you'd add to that, Brian? No, I, I am not a tomato expert, and I don't know that there's any seed treatment or anything else that you're going to do to get that stopped. Okay. Uh, got this one from... Uh, uh, but it's an interesting handle. Uh, it, it gets, I get this comment that got sent in. Uh, I'm, I'm preparing for the CCA exam, and I've been looking at some of your videos that you've posted online with especially your weed of the week. I'm just curious, would you consider changing how you present that uh, and add what the weed of the week is in the video description and a link to your videos addressing them? So if we just format what we have online, boy, we're online in a number of different formats too, in a number of different locations. So I guess I will pass that on to our, our folks who are posting the Wait, videos. Say, say that again? What just wondering if we would right? add what the weed of the week is in the video description oh, and link to those videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm 99% certain you can search by that right now. But yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. We're in a number of different formats out there. Yeah. No, I think you can search by that right now. All right. Well, thanks for the feedback and good luck on the CCA exam. I know it's a it's a 
big test to take and and it's has a lot of different topics that you need to be uh, really sharp on to do well on it but uh, sounds like you're putting the work in so good luck to you all right uh, i get this one from brandon and brandon says i in the past i've used the ag phd soils app for my soil testing uh, but i want to switch to the malik three test and right now your current ag phd soils app is not set up to do the malik three test i'm just wondering what do you recommend for a mapping system if i yeah, am we, going to do Malik? yeah 3? we talked about this um i think i answered this question a week ago or so when you were gone darren but um we're working on something new and we'll we'll just have one of our people i, th I think we already had one of our people follow up with him okay Perfect. Perfect. All right. Get this one in from Jason. He said, uh, hey, guys, I, I attended your naturals workshop this week, this winter, also your wheat workshop. And I'm looking at a few different naturals products that I'm going to put on my winter wheat this year. And I wanted to ask you some questions about naturals. We're just coming out of dormancy here in western Nebraska. We're going to be stream barring nitrogen. I'm just curious, is there anything I would add in in a stream bar application? The products that I want to use are Boost 10, Mega Grow, and Heat Shield. And I'm wondering, could Boost 10 go with the stream bars, or will that need to be on a foliar application? You know, personally, it's amino acids. Yeah, personally, Jason, I would prefer that one foliar. It needs to be foliar. Uh, and then he said, what about Mega Grow? I plan on putting that out with my herbicide, and I think that would be great. That would yep. be good timing for yep. the Mega Grow. Plant, plant growth rate. And then he said, on the Heat Shield, that's the one that I'm really questioning. Where could I put it on now? Uh, you guys talked about putting it on as a seed treatment at the workshop. Could it be used foliar potentially yes. as well? Yep. Can be used foliar, but you don't want to just lay it on the soil surface. The only, well, anyway, there are some natural products you could certainly lay on the soil surface, whether it's humic acid or a break, a residue breakdown product or something like that. But when we start talking about amino acids and some of these plant growth regulators, plant growth hormones, you got to get them on the plant. Either, I mean, it could be potentially on the seed or on the foliage, and then they can get into the plant. All right, got this feedback here from LS down in Kansas who says, Hey guys, uh, I'm just questioning, uh, do I need to listen to the show or do I just need to use AI? And he's kind of joking here. Uh, he said, I planted a healthy mix of triticale and spring oats March 1st with no rain the triticale is now three inches tall, but the oats never emerged. Well, he typed so, something in and got an so artificial of, intelligence answer. So instead answer of calling you guys internet. first, I <laughs> thought, I'll see what AI will tell me. And I got this answer, but he said, you know what? AI doesn't have free food at their field day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons why something might not emerge. And I mean, they list some of the reasons here, obviously. Uh, so they talked about soil temperature, soil moisture, seed quality, planting depth, soil pH competition, uh, pests or diseases. All those things are possible. There's certainly, there could be carryover issues. There could be compaction. There could be a number of different things. So it's really hard to say without an investigation exactly why uh, triticale came up and the oats did not. I, I mean, my first thought, though, is the oat seed was just bad. What about moisture? Do you think it takes more moisture for oats no. to come up than triticale? I don't think no. it'd be that much different. No, it wouldn't be that much different. Yeah. That all the triticale would come up and none of the oats would come up? No way. No possible chance. I think your oat seed was bad. That's just my assumption. And it, when I say bad, I'm not saying that necessarily the warm germination test is bad, but maybe it's just it didn't have 
vigor for cold soils. So I don't know if you ran a cold test on it or anything like that, but that's my first guess. Uh, and I, I, I would have to assume that's most likely what happened. All right. Well, thanks for the, for the question, LS. I uh, really appreciate your humor as well, and thanks for your support. I got this one in from Tom. Tom said, hey, guys, uh, I'm not a farmer, but I just want you to know I don't want to miss your TV program each week. Call it my relaxation therapy or meditation or whatnot, uh, but I don't even grow corn or beans or wheat. I just really enjoy watching the show. So just wanted to say thank you to you guys for taking time out of your life to create this program and uh, put it out there for everybody else to see. Hey, thanks, Tom. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we've been doing the show now for, for quite a while. TV, we've been on the air for 25 years, and radio now on, on in this format, we've been on for 10 years. So, yeah, it's been really fun for a long time to be able to talk about a lot of these agronomic issues. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, even if you're not a farmer, you can still send them in. And I, I guess this question got sent in as a reply to some weed control in lawns that we were talking about. We do get a lot of non-farmers that ask questions and, you know, many of those same things that are getting used in lawns, for example, or gardens, those same active ingredients and same techniques and practices get used in, in crop production too. Like you mentioned, corn, soybeans, wheat, and others. So uh, it is kind of fun to talk about how some of those things overlap a little bit. Uh, good luck to you, Tom, this spring. Hopefully, uh, you, hopefully you have a great, great spring, great lawn, and uh, continue watching our show. Really appreciate that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to M. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are right in the mailbag time, and we are answering your calls and questions at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. So, got this question that came in from Petey. Have you ever tried to use gibberellic acid on your yard? What can I do to wake up my yard fast and get it green again? One thing about gibberellic acid, Petey, and yes, I have put gibberellic acid on lawn grass. I put it on pasture as well. What often happens is the grass gets growing really fast. If you want to mow really quick, that's a good way to do it. But it is quite often a lighter color. It gets growing so fast. So I would strongly recommend putting on some nitrogen at that same time and try to uh, get all the nutrients or built up Or even just well. in advance of that time. So you want to make sure that plant is loaded up with nutrients because as a general statement, we aren't loading nutrients. And when you think about lawn grasses, that's really one of the biggest things we're going to tell you is soil test, see what you need, but just understand grass takes a ridiculous amount of nitrogen. It really likes sulfur as well. And quite often we see calcium deficiencies out there, which lead to hard soil and not as many nutrients being extracted. So that's why a lot of people will use a little bit of gypsum, which gives you some calcium and sulfate. And then they will use some ammonium sulfate, which gives you nitrogen and even more sulfate. And you might think, oh, boy, we're really overdoing on the sulfur thing. Well, a lot of times we're so short in lawns because people have just focused on nitrogen that that sulfur is quite often needed. And the sulfur makes nitrogen more efficient in grass, just like it does in our crops. So those would be our recommendations. Yeah, ammonium sulfate, probably some gypsum, and then obviously based on soil test, any other nutrients you might possibly need. And then, yes, you can spray some gibberellic acid, but get ready with your lawnmower because your grass will be taller. You will have to mow it more frequently, at least for the next few weeks. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one that came in from Andrew, and he said, My family farms a pretty large farm up in western New York, and we love your program, love your information. We're just curious on these soil nutrients that you often talk about. Do you have any charts that show ratios of what nutrients we should have in relation to one another? And also, what are the agronomy books that we we should be reading? What do you recommend there? We want to learn more about soil fertility. Okay, so read anything that Neil Kinsey has put out. That's really good. That'll help you on the soil fertility side. And then in terms of ratios... 
it it it's a little bit challenging because they don't know what lab you're using and what what tests they are running. But we often talk about, and we don't have any set place, I don't think, on the internet where we've got a whole bunch of things because there are only a few, and we do cover those during our soils clinics and a number of the workshops that we put on. And we'll talk about them here on the radio show and on TV as well. But phosphorus to zinc is probably the biggest one, and a lot of times it's a roughly ballpark, a 10 to 1 ratio. Again, depends on the type of phosphorus test and the type of zinc test you're running. Uh, then phosphorus to copper, not a lot of people talk about that, but we do. 30 to 1 roughly, it doesn't have to be exact, but roughly 30 to 1 phosphorus to copper. Uh, beyond that, we were just talking to one of the producers for a TV show, and he had a question about, hey, nitrogen to potassium ratio. You guys talk about that. What's the right nitrogen to potassium ratio? And we said, well, there isn't one. He goes, what? Well, why would you already talk about it? It's, it's, it's more of a general concept that we're trying to get across. Okay, what we mean by this nitrogen to potassium thing is if you're going to really push nitrogen, you better darn well have lots of potassium out there. Otherwise, your stock, your plants, they're not going to be able to handle it, and you're going to have lodging issues. So what we're usually saying with potassium is we want at least 4% on a base saturation test, plus you got to have however many pounds out there in that soil that are available that the crop can use immediately in order to get the the yield that you're after and the stock and grain quality that you want. So I I, I mean there are some of these things that we talk about where there there just isn't any set deal. Nobody's going to come out and say well you need this uh, three to one ratio of nitrogen to potassium or any of that kind of thing. It's going to vary so much depending on soil type, the crop, uh, rainfall. So it does get a little bit complicated. And that's part of the reason, too, why you don't find some of these ratios just as a standard thing. I mean, when you went to high school and took an ag class, when you went to college and took your ag classes, they didn't just say, okay, well, the mandatory thing is you've got to have this for a ratio of these nutrients, and then you're going to be in great shape. It continues to change and evolve, and it definitely does based on all these other factors, the crop, the soil, the rain, you name it. But just understand that we want nutrients in balance ultimately in the plant because when they aren't in balance, you're going to have problems. You're going to have lodging issues like I just said like with the nitrogen potassium thing. But there are, there are other issues you will have in the plant. It's the same thing. Think about human health for just a second. There, there isn't a set thing for every person. Uh, that I mean, not everybody is equal. But where I'm going with this is if let's say you ate only one food and you loaded up only on one nutrient, well, eventually you're probably going to get a disease or something bad's going to happen to your body because your body requires a lot of nutrients just like plants do. So anyway, uh, long answer here, uh, but I, I would just say you want to continue studying this stuff trying things on your own farm, testing things out. But nutrient balance is important for the plant, and it's also important for the soil and soil structure and soil health. All right, a uh, question from Gerald in Northwest Iowa. He said, guys, I understand you put dairy manure on your farm. We have access to dairy manure as well, and our local dairy uh, next to us wants to put some manure out this spring. They're going to do it with drag lines and say that will create less compaction issues than hauling it out with tanks. 
I'm just curious, do you use spring manure? And if so, what are some of the considerations that we should have in order to make this a positive experience? Yes, I don't love spring manure. I really like it done in the fall for a couple of reasons. Now, it, it's it's not going to be so hot. If there is a an area where, ooh, we got a little too much on or whatever, it kind of dissipates after six months, moves in the soil, that kind of thing. So I don't worry as much about my crop safety. That's, that's not a real big concern. The much bigger concern is just the compaction that can happen in the spring. Because for us, the frost just came out of the ground. It, there, it probably still is on the north sides of slow slopes right now in our fields. There's probably a little bit of frost there. Well, guess what? They're coming, I think it's in two weeks now, and they're going to put, they're going to do the same thing you're talking about, dragging hoses and putting some manure in the ground. And it's basically because the dairy, um, they, they may not have enough capacity to make it till fall. And I said, sure, I, I'm fine with it. So I don't remember how many acres we're going to do, 500, 600 acres, something like that. So it's no tremendously huge deal but what we're really worried about is soil moisture i am i'm going to pray for a dry week yeah I, I guess is what i would say if they're going out there and they're creating compaction you've got frost still in the ground you've got excess moisture in the ground you can see ruts they're making through the field uh, I mean, those are the reasons why I would be concerned. But just last spring, we put a fair amount of liquid manure on, I don't remember how many acres, I'll call it three or 400 acres, and turned out just fine. Those crops were just fine. It was a drier spring, and I was thankful for that. But that's that's my number one fear. We usually have less moisture to deal with in the fall than we do in the spring, and so that's why I don't. that's the biggest reason why I don't love spring manure, but it can be done. Right, had one from Tim down in North Carolina. He said, hey, guys, been watching your weather, and I see it's been in the 80s and 90s, but I haven't heard you talk about planting corn yet. Do you have fields ready? Why are you not planting? Because there are still snow piles, and several of our fields, many, most of our fields, I would say, have trees on the borders. Well, there's still snow in the shelter belts, meaning that on those borders, you I mean, it's still wet. And in some cases, there probably still is a little bit of frost in the ground right there. It's just not real fit. Even in the valleys, we, we just have lost in the last couple of days, probably the rest of the snow. So we're just waiting for things to dry out. Um, next week, I'm certainly hoping we will be able to go. I was optimistic we might be able to go a little sooner because I saw the warm weather coming. But, boy, when you have feet of snow and then it's basically turned to a solid block of ice like a mini glacier, um, it doesn't just disappear overnight like I would like. Nope, definitely takes some time. And you know what? On the front side of harvest, you just or front side of planting, you just don't want to push things. It, things are going to get fit in no time and with big equipment and, and uh, lots of manpower on hand to get this done. You can plant in a real hurry, so why, why push it too far? Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.